Each day, you see more than 280 advertisements, or about 100,000 a year. Over your lifetime, you'll be told what to buy 10 million times. Hundreds of billions are spent each year with one goal in mind, to make you discontent. This will make you happy. This will give you peace. Lose this, enhance that, more energy, better sleep, look better, perform, achieve, no need for sleep. Is there an escape from this? Maybe you could find a private island. Peace and quiet with no one telling you how to look or what to buy. But would you be satisfied? Or would you think your neighbor's island looks a little bit more peaceful? Are you hardwired to be discontent? Can you break free? Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Excellent. My name's Clay. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to, uh, to meet you after the service. I'm one of the pastors here, and as Michael mentioned, we're really glad that you guys came out this morning, and especially if today's your first day with us, we're especially glad to have you here, and we would love for you to stop by our guest center. So earlier in the week, I was looking at the video, and it says, you know, 280 different ads we see each day, 100,000 a year. I actually pulled out my calculator to make sure that the math was right. That's kind of the person that I am, and it's close enough. It works for a, for a video like that. But um, 280 different ads each day, whether it's the, uh, on the TV or the radio or in the subway, in the back of the taxi, in the grocery carts, you know, you got the ads now sometimes, internet, all of these different ads are trying in some way to influence, to affect our thinking and to tell us how they want us to think. And I was looking at some vintage ads uh, earlier in the week. I wanted to share a few of those with you, some that come from last century and even the century before. The first one is actually from 1892 for Woodbury's Facial Soap. And if you take a look at this, leaving aside, you know, sort of the black and white look and all that, all that text, all that text on there, we don't have that normally today. And it's all talking about the physical benefits of Woodbury's facial soap. For example, it cleanses, it beautifies, it cures pimples, and my favorite, it cures red noses. Now, don't ask me how it does that. Don't ask me why that was a problem in 1892, but if you needed to cure your red nose in 1892, Rudolph should have been talking to, uh, to Woodbury's facial soap. Fast forward about 25 years or so to 1916, same product, now we got a little bit color in the ad, and uh, John Woodbury is in the lower right-hand corner, a little picture of his soap, but notice what's changed here. Still, there's still a lot of text, but they're beginning to now imply some of the relational benefits. It's still focused on the physical in some sense, a skin you love to touch, but you've got this woman who's looking kind of forlorn there, and this man is going to just come into her life and make it so wonderful, you know, and if that hasn't offended you, wait till we get a little bit further when we go into the, to the next ad. But the point is, in that period of about 25 years, they're beginning to shift from the physical benefits, cleaning your red nose, to some of the relational benefits, a skin you love to touch. And we move on. So let's move on then to 1949. And what they've got is a full-blown comic strip. And this is an ad in the form of a comic strip. And I was thinking about 
Why would, we, why would they do that? Well, it's kind of the television commercial equivalent of that day. And here I'm singing the blues in more way than one. Why? Because the man that I want is with somebody else. What do I do? My friend comes in and says, well, if you use Woodbury's facial soap, <laughs> you'll be all set. In the little box down here, it says, just married another Woodbury Deb. Former Caroline Chauvenot of Charlottesville, Virginia, bride of John Joseph Connolly, says it's Woodbury facial cocktails for the smooth skin of romance. And what they are essentially trying to do, yes, they're trying to sell you soap, but they're trying to do it by saying, if you're an unmarried woman, you are obviously unfulfilled. The only fulfillment that you can find is in marriage. And if you want to get married, the way to do that is use Woodbury's facial soap, you know? And there you go. And that's, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to affect our thinking. And whether we agree or whether we disagree with the message that they put forward, and whether we think it's good or we think it's bad that they're trying to influence our thinking, they're not only trying, they are succeeding beyond what many of us could, could even imagine. Take a look at this ad here uh, from more recent times for Dos Equis Beer. And some, you, some of you know about the, uh, the Most Interesting Man series. And uh, this series of ads, both in print and television commercials, from the time they started up until around today, they have increased sales of Dos Equis beer by about 600%. Are they being successful in influencing our minds? Absolutely. And take a look what it says here. Being boring is a choice. Those mild salsas and pleated khakis don't buy themselves. Now... I don't buy Dos Equis beer, but I am also no longer wearing pleated khakis. So, <laughs> did it work? You be the judge. You be the judge of that. Product, product advertisements are not the only voices that are trying to speak into our heads. Yes, the ads are, but essentially everybody we encounter, everybody we run into, everybody we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis is in some way, shape, or form trying to influence our thinking, whether it's our spouse, our parents, our kids, our boss, our coworkers, the people who report to us, our teachers, our coaches, the lobbyists, the politicians, you name it. Everybody, in some sense, is trying to influence the way that we think. My view of who I am how I spend my time, how I balance my work and my family, how I spend my money, what I buy, how I interact with people, all of these actions, all of the things that I do on a regular basis, all of these depend in large part on what I believe, on what I think. And my thinking, whether I think it or not, my thinking is influenced over and over and over again by everything from the ads that I see on the subway to the pop-up ad on my computer to the people I interact with on a regular basis. And we, as followers of Christ, need to recognize that there are all these voices that are speaking into our minds. Some are good, some are bad. 
but all of them are in some sense trying to influence us. And this has been true really since the beginning of time. I want us to take a look uh, at one of the opening chapters of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to look at Adam and Eve and how they were influenced. And Adam and Eve lived in a perfect environment, had everything they could want, everything that they could need, perfect relationship with God. Yet when the first voice came along that tried to influence their thinking in a negative way, they fell for it. Take a look here at Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? Think about what's going on here. God had said to Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree that you want except this particular one. And the serpent, this animal, comes along and he says, did God really say? He's trying to inject some doubt into their mind. He's trying to change their thinking in that way. And the story continues. The woman said to the serpent, we can eat from, any of the, from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you'll die. Verse 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and, knowing good and evil. And notice what's happening here. He starts by casting some doubt. He says, did God really say this? He's trying to change their thinking there. Then he directly contradicts. He says, you're not going to certainly die. And then he says, God's withholding something good from you. He knows that when you eat it, you'll be like him, knowing the difference between good and evil. And we have in the project, as Michael was mentioning, we have a great discussion about this. And it's an awesome opportunity to kind of dig deeper into what's going on and what's behind that. And it's, it's a lot of fun and it's kind of challenging as well. But what I want you to see at this point here is there's this voice that's trying to speak into their minds, trying to change their thinking, casting doubt not only in what God said, but on God's goodness as well. And watch what happens then here in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom... She bought it. She took some. She ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Serpent tried to influence Eve's thinking, and she bought it. Hey, looks good. It's attractive. I like that. Smooth skin, you know? hey, it's going to be good food. I bet that's going to taste good. And you know what? I get to be like God if I eat that. And the irony is that they became less like God than they were before because they chose to listen to the wrong voice. They chose to allow the wrong voice to influence their thinking. And we've been living with the results ever since. Their relationship with God and with one another was broken. So they take these fig leaves, they use it to cover themselves, to hide from one another, and then the next scene, they're hiding from God, and they start blaming one another and God, and it goes on and on and on. And again, if you want to, to, to uh, be involved in a great conversation about that, come on out to the project, and we talk about that and how it really affects our, our lives today. But the point is, 
Adam and Eve were listening to the wrong voice. It influenced their thinking, and it really changed the course of human history. And thousands of years later, there's a scene where Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, goes out into the wilderness, and the same voice is essentially trying to use the same tactics to tempt Jesus in essentially the same way. And I want to go ahead and read that for you. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, the devil being Satan, being the one who was kind of behind or animating the serpent. Same basic situation. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it's written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that, the, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. What the serpent, what Satan is doing in this particular case, Jesus responded the first time by quoting from the Hebrew scriptures, from the Bible, from the Old Testament, from the word of God. So Satan says, okay, you're gonna do that? He himself quotes it, but he twists it just a little bit and he takes it a little bit out of context. And Jesus responds and he says, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. If we kind of compare and contrast these two temptations where you see the same person, the same voice trying to speak both into Adam and Eve's mind, but also into Jesus' mind with essentially the same basic approach. It's just interesting to see the contrast between those two. Adam and Eve were in a beautiful garden. All the food that they could possibly want, all of their, their needs met. Jesus is out in the wilderness, in a desert. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's hungry. He's got no food at that point. Both temptations began with eating. Adam and Eve, temptation to eat from the forbidden fruit. Jesus, the temptation to turn stones into bread in order to fulfill his needs, not in the way that God would have them fulfilled, but perhaps in his own selfish way. Adam and Eve were tempted to be like God by disobeying God. Think about that for a second. There, how do you become more like God by disobeying God? Yet they were sucked into that particular temptation. Jesus was tempted to be made king also without obeying God. Adam and Eve ignored God's word. They ignored what God had said, what they knew to be the truth from God. They ignored that and listened to the serpent. Jesus ignored Satan, and he listened to God's word. Adam and Eve failed the test, and we bear the consequences today. Jesus passed the test, and we get the benefits of that if we're trusting in him. Because Jesus Listen to God because he obeyed God, because he chose to ignore the wrong voice 
listened to the right voice because his thinking was aligned with his father's thinking because he obeyed God throughout his life because he suffered, because he lived, because he died on the cross, because he rose again. If we choose to listen to his voice, to come to him, to put our faith in him, to see him as the one who can restore our relationship with God, we can experience the benefits of his obedience, of his death, of his life, of his resurrection if we put our faith in him and if we trust in him. And that in some way essentially reverses what happened with Adam and Eve. And so really the question for us is, are we going to listen to the wrong voices? Or are we going to listen to the right voices? And to put that together and to give you some practical ways in which this can make a difference in our lives on a day-to-day basis. Let me give you a couple of, of ideas, a couple of applications here for, I think, uh, for how I think that this could apply to us. First of all, we need to think intentionally. We need to think intentionally. Take a look at this ad here for Docker's Pants. This one's a little bit more current uh, as well. It's sort of uh, what you might call a manifesto, and the, the, the pun is intended there. And it's, it's uh, all the verbiage there. It's sort of a manifesto that is challenging men to man up and act like real men instead of, and this is kind of their words, some sort of androgynous, foamy, latte-drinking wimps. And, of course, the way that we do that is by wearing Docker's pants. Now, I am not wearing Docker's pants today, but they don't have pleats, so we're okay with that, you know, with that particular situation. But notice what they're doing in the, in, in the way that they do this. They're not simply trying to sell pants. They're trying to change the way that men, and perhaps women, if women are looking at this ad, the way that people think about what it means to be a real man. And if you don't believe that, there's a quote here from one of the VPs of marketing for Docker's Pants. And what she says is the intent of the campaign is to put forth a new definition of masculinity, one that embraces strength and sensitivity and appeals to men who can change a tire and a diaper. We're not trying to shame men. We want to make them laugh at themselves and at the state of manhood and at the same time encourage them to dress up man up and embody today's new definition of masculinity. Do you see what, she, what she's done in the span of one paragraph? First sentence of the paragraph, she says, we want to put forth a new definition of masculinity. Last sentence of the paragraph, she's assuming that this is the new definition of masculinity and we want men everywhere to embrace what is now, because I, the VP of marketing for Dockers, declare it to be the new definition of masculinity. She's trying, they are trying to influence the way that we think. Again, whether it's good or bad at this point is not the point that I'm trying to make. The, the ad agencies, the people who we're interacting with are intentionally trying to influence our thinking. And if we don't think intentionally, if we don't think critically, if we don't consciously stop and say, how are they trying to influence us? We're going to be influenced in ways that we may look back and end up regretting. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote a large portion of the New Testament 
he puts it this way. Very interesting what he says. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, to the pattern of this culture, to the pattern of this society, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, the way that he wants us to live, his good and his pleasing and his perfect will. Nobody intentionally thinks poorly. Nobody intentionally makes wrong decisions, but we don't always stop and think intentionally. Adam and Eve didn't wake up one morning and say, I think we're going to disobey God this morning, you know? Uh, but they listened to the wrong voice, and the results of that were tragic. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'm going to try to ruin my family this morning. I think I'm going to go into work and try to destroy the business that I work for. I think that I'm going to become addicted to this particular substance or this particular behavior this morning. Nobody does that intentionally, but if we don't stop and think intentionally and listen to the voices that are speaking to us in a critical way, and I don't mean necessarily always disagreeing with everything, but thinking critically, evaluating and asking ourselves, is this right? Is this true? How is this influencing me? Do I really want to be influenced in this way? If we don't think intentionally, we're going to end up making choices that we later regret. We're going to wake up one morning and say, what in the world was I thinking? What was I thinking? Why? How was I influenced in my thinking in that way? So one practical way uh, to think intentionally is to actually stop and ask yourself, make a list if you want to, what voices are trying to influence my thinking? And which ones are being most successful? How am I being influenced in my thinking? If you've got a family, this would be an incredibly good uh, mealtime conversation. Think about it as parents and then ask your kids, how are we influenced in our thinking? If you don't have a family, grab, some, grab a couple of friends, make it a lunchtime discussion at work or you know, when you're, you're carpooling or, or whatever it may be. But just have some interaction with folks. Ask yourself critically who and what is influencing my thinking and which of those influences are actually being most successful. In addition to thinking intentionally, we also need to think biblically. We need to look at life through the lens of Scripture. We need to ask ourselves, what does God say about this particular area of my life, and how should I live in light of that? There's an interesting passage in the book of Acts where it's actually talking as well about the Apostle Paul. Now, the Berean Jews, these were Jews who were living in a, in a town or a city called Berea, they were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message, this is the preaching that Paul had given, with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed, as, as also did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Rich and I were talking about this verse earlier this week, and, he, was, and you know, he said to me, I'm really glad you're mentioning that verse because both of us, both Rich and I would say, well, we appreciate when you listen to what we have to say. The most important thing is to ask yourself, does it align itself 
with what God says? Does it align itself with what the Bible says? It's not true because I say it's true. It's not true because Rich says it's true. It's true if and only if God says that it's true. And so when we're, when we're evaluating all of those voices that are trying to influence our thinking, that are trying to speak into our minds and change not only what we think, but ultimately how we behave, we need to uh, view those things. We need to listen to those voices and filter them through the lens of the Bible, through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of God's Word. And some of the voices that we hear that, that, uh, that are bombarding us on a day-to-day basis, some of those voices are actually saying things that are really good. Take a look at this, uh, this Dove soap ad uh, for the Dove Real Beauty campaign. Got a woman here, and the question they're asking is, are her freckles ugly spots or beauty spots? Traditionally, people would say, that woman is not going to be used as a model because she's got too many splotches on her face. And Dove is saying, really? Is that the way that it ought to be? Should we look at beauty with that kind of perspective, that beauty is based on whether we have spots on our face or not? Take a look at the next one. Is this gray? Is this woman gray? Or is she gorgeous? And look at the subtitle that's written there. In the back, you may not be able to see it. Why can't more women feel glad to be gray? Join the beauty debate. And if you read on their website what they've written about this Dove Real Beauty campaign, what they're saying is we're trying to change the way that people, both men and women, are thinking about beauty. We want to have, we want to get a discussion. We want to get a debate going. And you may have even seen some of the, the videos that they have both on YouTube and I think they've put them on some uh, TV commercials as well where they're interacting with women and asking them how they feel about how they look and to actually, they have a sketch artist who's helping them to draw pictures of themselves and kind of get an idea of their self-image, of who they think that they are. And you know what? There's an awful lot of good in those Dove uh, Real Beauty ad campaigns, but they're not good because a bar of soap or an ad agency behind that bar of soap says that they're good. They're not, the, the perspective that they're trying to give is not true because a soap company says it's true. It's true because it corresponds with what God says. First Samuel chapter 16, God is speaking to, to Samuel, who was, uh, whom God had sent to anoint the, the next king of Israel. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Pretty similar message to the Dove Real Beauty campaign. But 1 Samuel 16 isn't true because Dove Soap says it's true. The good in Dove Soap's Real Beauty campaign is true because God says it's true. Because he says real beauty doesn't matter, doesn't depend on the smoothness of your skin? Is it skin that you love to touch? Is it skin that is with or without freckles? Is it hair that is gray or black or brown or blonde or whatever? Real beauty, God says, doesn't depend on the outward appearance. It depends on the heart. And so, yes, 
a lot of the voices that we hear are saying things that are good and right or true, but if we're thinking intentionally and if we're thinking biblically, we're going to be continually filtering those voices through the lens of Scripture and asking ourselves, do they correspond really to what God says? All sorts of voices are trying to speak into our minds, and we need to intentionally choose the best voices. We need to listen to the smartest person in the room. And if God is in the room, I think he's probably the smartest person in the room. And we need to listen to what he has to say. Do I want to be taking my cues? Do I want to be taking my cues about who I am, how I relate to my wife and my daughters, how I relate to you, how I interact with the people in the stores and, and on and on and on. Do I want to be taking my cues from my soap or my beer or my clothing or on and on or on? Or do I want to be taking my cues from the God of the universe, the one who created me, the one who loved me enough to send his son to die for me, the one who provides for my needs? And if we stop and think about it, we realize, yeah, it is so much better to be listening to what God says than to be listening to what my deodorant tells me I ought to be living like. So let me give you a practical suggestion on this one. Pick a verse or an entire passage from the Bible, whether it's one of the ones that we've talked about this morning or maybe one that's been important to you since you were a kid or something that you've heard recently. Pick a verse, a passage from the Bible, and reflect on it every day this week for at least a few minutes and ask yourself this question. If I were to really believe that this is true, how would it affect my life today? How would it affect my life tomorrow and the rest of this week? Maybe you don't believe that the Bible is true. Maybe you know some of the Bible, but you're saying, I'm not so sure it's true. Okay, ask yourself the question. If I were to believe that it's true, what difference would it make not only in my thinking but in the way that I act. And if you actually do believe that it's true, then tweak the question just a little bit and ask yourself, yes, first, it, since I believe that it's true, how should it affect my life? But secondly, ask yourself, how is it actually affecting my life? Am I really applying this verse, this passage in my life on a day-to-day -day basis? So we need to think intentionally we need to think biblically, and we really need to do that every waking moment of every day. There are 168 hours in a week, and we're awake for, you know, roughly 100 hours, not 1,000 a week. Boy, that would be a tiring week. <laughs> Sometimes you feel that way. We're awake for about 100 hours of every one of those weeks, and we spend about one hour on Sunday morning here in church. What about those other 99 hours? What about the under 167 hours if we're awake a little bit more during the week? We need to be thinking intentionally. We need to be thinking biblically, not just for one hour every weekend when we're in church, but really throughout the week, every moment, every waking moment of every day. Last week, Rich talked about the concept of having a heart of wisdom. And if my thinking is aligned with God's thinking, then my heart is going to be more and more aligned with God's heart. And when my heart is aligned with God's heart, then I have 
a heart of wisdom. And if I've got this heart of wisdom, my thinking is aligned with God's thinking, if my heart's aligned with God's heart, then my hands, the way that I live, is going to be aligned with the way that God wants me to live. My marriage, my family life, my interaction with my coworkers, with the people that I meet, how I choose what college, if I'm, a, if I'm a high school student, how I choose my college, how I choose my career, how I respond to the different situations that I live, that I, that I encounter on a, on a day-to-day basis, my relationship with God should affect every, every area of my life, not just that one hour on Sunday mornings. I need to be continually asking myself, how does my relationship with God affect this area of my life and that area of my life. I need to be asking myself, how would God have me think about this? How would, ha- how would he have me respond in that situation? And ultimately, how should I live in light of the fact that I know, that I love, that I follow the creator of the universe who knows so much more than I do, than an ad agency does, than anybody else that I encounter. How should I live? How should I think in light of the fact that I'm a follower of Christ? Let me pray for us. Father, it, it's sometimes overwhelming, as I was thinking about this throughout this week, to realize how much we are bombarded by all of these voices, so many of them trying to influence our thinking, some for good, some not for good. Help me, Father, help all of us to really stop and to listen critically, to think intentionally as we're being influenced by these voices. Help us to think biblically as well. Help us to become more and more and more familiar with Scripture to read it, to to reflect on it, to meditate on it, to discuss it with other people, to try to understand it, and ultimately to apply it to our lives. And I pray that as we do, we would more and more and more develop a heart of wisdom, that we would more and more and more think your thoughts, think the way that you would have us think, see our lives and the world around us through the lens of Scripture through your eyes. And as we do, help us to live in a way that really is pleasing to you and is a blessing and and of benefit to those who are around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming out this morning and uh, hope that you have a wonderful week.